Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 63, Fitting the Canopy. So the canopy is one of those challenging construction tasks in a Sonics project. And really, that's true of just about every home build. The canopy is always going to be a little bit touchy to do. So the job can be repetitive and it can be time consuming. And there's always a risk that you're going to crack the canopy partway through. So we'll discuss how to tackle the intimidating task. And, and really, that's what it is, is. It's more intimidating than difficult. We'll talk about tools and techniques that will set you up for success and hopefully how to keep you out of the Cracked Canopy Club. It's an exclusive membership that you really don't want to join. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonics 1374. Joining me again are my two good flying buddies, Gary Motley and John Gillis. John is currently converting his Legacy YX to a new B model and should be getting pretty close. So, John, how's the progress? Oh, progress is, um, we are very close. Um, big moves. I've uh, remounted the wings. It looks like an airplane again. And uh, had a friend up and we rewrapped them. So it looks good. Um, I'm actually thinking if I put a little effort into it this weekend, I got to do my weight and balance. I might fly it on Sunday. Oh, nice. I noticed your picture you just posted on Facebook. It looks good. Yeah, no, it, it's coming out really nice. Um, the wing wrap. This is my third plane I've done a, a wing wrap on. It, uh, it it came out pretty darn good. Um, we didn't uh, we didn't ruin the uh, three hundred dollars worth of wrap to put it on. <laughs> now Gary wasn't down, so that <laughs> helped a lot. <laughs> you got to bring Mike back. He's the um, you know he's the, the the skilled assistant that you really need. Uh, Mike was on the phone. And giving us <laughs> advice the entire time. In between mojitos, probably. Well, yeah, I think he was actually flying for for, uh, for uh, Southwest at the time, so he was uh, he was sober, which was really kind of a unique thing <laughs> with Mike. All right, well, good. Um, good luck getting those last details. You know, you know, that's always a nut roll in itself. Yeah, I just I got, I got a ton of stuff I got to do. I got to do a weight and balance. I got to do uh, a final checkout of the uh, instrumentation. Get the engine, you know, reconnected. It's it's all ready. And if it all comes together, who knows? Might get it in the air this month. Well, Gary, you need to head down there and uh, just give him one second set of eyes just to make sure you didn't forget a cotter pin. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Because I I just really detest his he, he looks at it and he just looks at me and that's it and i say okay i, I gotta i gotta just go back i just gotta to the drawing board <laughs> it it's very uh yeah it's discern, discerning well not everybody can live up to that standard so i got a couple amp buddies and, and ai buddies that have come over and they're less uh uh judgmental than gary they're less perfectionist yeah. you mean but Gary's very thorough. He's good. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I'll have him look at it after I fly yeah. it. Okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. All right. Well, and that other voice, of course, is Gary Motley. 
Gary's a longtime pilot. He's a former CFI and a multi-time airplane builder. So, Gary, what you up to? Oh, just slaving away, slaving away. Trying to get uh, my decrepit old body, as John would say, back to the gym here the last few months in a more serious fashion. And my joints are, are not real happy with me at the moment. That's always the way it goes. You, you know, you, you go to the gym, you exercise, it's good for your health, and you feel terrible as a result of it. So I don't know. Um, you got to kind of find the right balance, I suppose. Yeah, it's always one of those head scratchers. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Yeah, It's coming along. All right. Well, how's the flying been? Uh, fair to, fair to Midland. Uh, we had a little bit of wind up here recently, at least at my airports, John. And so that kind of kept me down on the ground. And I, I did try to get out just a little bit in, in the holes, but uh, sure enough, by the time I got back, it, it really started to pick up. So I didn't get a lot of flying in this last weekend, uh, but that's okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to this coming weekend. Yeah. I saw you, uh, did some mountain flying over the weekend. And I was like, I was sitting here going, looking at the windsock going, Damn, Gary's up in the mountains in this? Wow. You just never know. I mean, you know how, how weird these little these eddies and currents are on the mountains. It can be great on one side and nasty on the other. Oh, yeah, and they'll put you right down in the trees. Yeah, I mean, two weekends ago, I tried to go up there, and just nothing was feeling right. Uh, it wasn't looking right. I wasn't getting lift on the right areas where I expected it. And so I just turned around and went back. So this is just, this is just creepy. Yeah. <clears throat> Our... Uh... I'm going to be towing gliders tomorrow, and wind's supposed to be picking up to about uh, 20, 25 uh, knots out of the south, which is okay for me in the tow plane, but, man, I don't know about these gliders doing that. Well, I managed to get a little bit of flying in myself. Um, went up for a short flight this week. The last couple of weekends have been pretty iffy here in Kansas City, so haven't got any flying down on the weekends. So now it's just a matter of trying to – find those targets of opportunity and get out to the airport before it could start. Yeah. Well, it's getting dark early now. So you catch before it gets cold, get your night currency up without having to stay up too late. All right. Well, no guests this episode. So let's just jump right in and get to it. So what I thought we'd do is in this discussion, just um, we'll talk about kind of the, the overall, the overall objective and flow of fitting the canopy. And then we'll kind of dig into some of the individual techniques. We're going to start off talking about the legacy canopy. And then where we have differences in the B model, we'll specifically call those out. Because, again, uh, there are more and more B model canopies that are going to be built. And going forward, that's going to be the majority of them. We're not quite there yet. So just kind of in an overview fashion, really it kind of breaks down into, into four phases. You have all those prep activities that you have to do to get ready for the canopy. And that's things like getting your upper firewall all fabricated, um, the glare shield uh, in place with the cross tie and possibly even the fuel tank, stuff that's going to change the fit of the forward end of your fuselage. So you got to get all that stuff done in the, in the, in the prep phase. Then you go through and you fit the windscreen. After that, you build the canopy frame and then you add the bubble to it. And that's kind of the flow that that everybody is going to naturally follow. So, before we dig into the individual pieces, I thought maybe we'd just go over some of the, the quick tips right up front in in dealing with the Lexan and the plexiglass, kind of the quick do's and don'ts that, that you're going to have to keep in mind. And before we do that, the thing I want to point out is the difference between the Lexan that is used on the forward windscreen and the plexiglass that is made for the canopy bubble itself. 
So the Lexan is, uh, it's a very different material. It has kind of a rubbery consistency. It's great for impact resistance. So if you're going to take a bird in the canopy, you're going to want it to hit that Lexan because it's going to, it's going to deflect and bounce off and it's not going to come crashing through the canopy. But Lexan behaves quite a bit differently. So Gary, um, when you were fitting your canopy, um, put it in perspective, the difference in, in how you're going to handle, you know, one versus the other. Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually one of those weird little ducks. Uh, you know, everyone talks about not having any troubles with the Lexan windshields, you know, as far as cracking as being fairly easy and forgiving to deal with. Uh, I had put mine on and about two months later, I come out one, one morning into the garage and it was just cracked everywhere. And I was just dumbfounded. Uh, and so I actually was one of those guys that had to replace my windshield. That now, sounds like defective Lexan almost. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, it had been sitting in there for quite a while and all of a sudden just cracked. Uh, you know, as far as, as far as the canopy itself, I never had any cracking or issues in, in that one, but I did an Lexan for some reason. Yeah. I think in general, the Lexan is, is much more sort of flexible and rubbery. So much so that you can even take a sheet of Lexan and put it on a bending brake and just cold form it into a 90 degree bend. You're never going to be able to do that with Lex, with, with the plexiglass itself. Plexiglass is very brittle. It does kind of flex a little bit, but when it gets to a certain point, it just sort of shatters almost like glass does. And so handling it is going to be a little bit different. You're going to have to be much more delicate with the plexi. Um, and then deburring your holes and your edges and things like that are going to be much more important because again, any sort of little stress riser can possibly cause the plexi to shatter. And the Lexan is much more forgiving and that kind of rubbery consistency. Well, you know, the first thing we've got to do though, is we need, we need to have consistent, uh, reference points, both on the airframe itself, as well as the, the plastic we're working with. Um, you know, so I went ahead to basically just a simple way and put some, uh, uh, some tape, uh, both on the frames as well as on the plexiglass and made a scribe with, uh, my, you know, uh, blue felt, you know, highlighter pen. And so I would know that every time I went back to fit the canopy to look at where I needed to trim and so forth, I was hopefully in the exact same alignment as I was the previous time. Uh, so without some real definitive reference points, you're going to have a very tough time ever getting this thing trimmed the way that you want to. So that would be the first step that I would recommend. Right. And that is super important because the slightest little shifting, you know, you can have the front aligned perfectly and the back is out by an eighth of an inch and that's going to change the entire perimeter fit. And it's not going to fit right unless it goes back to exactly the same spot. And you're going to find that it's going to be consistent throughout the entire fitting that I found. Uh, very similar to the same kind of problems we had with the uh, vertical split uh, cowlings as well. Uh, you, you sand or you trim one area and go back and refit things, and just the whole geometry just seems to shift a little bit. And I found that to be a notorious problem, in particular with the canopy, because, you know, it's really kind of an odd shape to begin with. And by the time you flex it in what, what originally looks like the wrong direction to get it to fit onto the airframe, uh, it's, it's very soft. It shifts a lot. Uh, and unless you're able to really lock it down, which of course is very difficult to do, uh, while you're still trimming everything, when you, when you trim one corner of it, it's going to seem to make a, a difference on the opposite end of it. Uh, it was one of those things, as you said, you can spend days in, and I had people come in and, and put extra hands on it every time I tried to form it down and, and try to get it, you know, lined up with all my, my marking and references. 
and go back and figure out what I need to take off. And I would take off that tiny little bit amount, go back and reset it and dog off. It didn't seem as if something else shifted. It was just kind of frustrating. Um, I, I think most of us finally end up in, at the end of the day saying, this is good enough. It's not as good as we wanted, but it's good enough. Yeah. So, you know, kind of a realistic expectation. The fit is very, very prone to changing. Yeah. Slightest little alignment things is going to change that fit. So you got to go into it kind of knowing what, what the achievable standard really is and, and not think that it's going to fit a little tighter than it probably will. And I have looked at a lot of craft and I, I don't think I've ever seen one that I would consider an absolute perfect fit. They're all, they're all get to that same kind of point. And I think they probably just threw up their hands too and said, this is good enough and let's just get on with it. Well, and, and John, I'll turn it back over in just a sec. Um, the Sonics canopy is different than many others in that there's no skirt that goes around the plexi to kind of seal all the gaps. That's, yeah. it, the bubble is the entire thing. So the bubble has to fit close to the front edge and the rear edge. Otherwise, you're going to have air gaps and all that. So it's just a little bit different on what we have to do in the Sonics. John, go ahead. All right. Well, what I want to say is I understand exactly, and I, I 100% with you guys on the A model windscreen, not the canopy, but the windscreen, right. is that you just kind of get it close and then you just kind of deal with it. The B model, however, is restrained by that, uh, the aluminum strap that they give you, and it perfectly mates with the milled windscreen bow and it is a real big challenge i know you're, you, you you mount it flat then you bend it with the the frame on it and it's um you know i i guess there's there's less ability to be uh creative but boy it's a challenge to put that windscreen on the b model so, uh, so versus revelation and simplicity to mounting the B model, then you get a, a more consistent result, but it's a lot more challenging to get it. And had I not done an A model windscreen, um, it would have been a real challenge for me as a B model guy coming in without having any knowledge on it to put that in. Mm. But the the net result is it's a really nice fit. Um, and it's tight and it, you don't have that, uh, the, I don't know if you want to talk about the porpoise nose issue with the, uh, windscreen and the canopy on the A models. You don't have any of that. Yeah. So John, what, what you're referring to is the early plans had the height of the windscreen bow, uh, being too low. And if you followed the plans, you had this weird unnatural break where the, where the windscreen came up to the bow and then the bubble kind of had a, a uh, the dolphin nose or the porpoise nose break in that canopy line. They have since gone back and changed the dimensions on the plan. So the later plan sets, and I don't know when they did this, but the later plan sets have a higher bow. However, even with some of the later kits, and I don't know if the very latest A model kits were like this, but certainly in my kit and Isaac's kit, you know, in the in the thirteen to sixteen hundred range. You can raise that that forward bow up by another inch or so, and even further smooth that transition out. The B model, I guess, you don't have that. No, there is no problem with the B model because it, it's pretty much defined by those uh, the CNC milled uh, bows. 
And so you don't have a choice to raise them up unless you really want to do some fabrication. Right. For people that haven't seen, you know, an A model versus a B model, the A model just has a solid aluminum rod that is bent into a hoop. And that's the, that's the windscreen bow. And it comes oversized. So you have to fit it and then you have to drill it to the side of the fuselage in the right location for the right height. And then you cut off the excess. And so it's, it, the fit is variable from, from plane to plane. On the B model, that is a machine piece that is fit exactly the same way in every airplane. Right. And so in my case with the B model, it I have no porpoise nose. In the A model, you can have a porpoise nose if you don't raise that windscreen bow high enough to mate or cause that transition to be very smooth. Can I say I kind of like the porpoise nose? <laughs> I know. It's, it probably seems weird, but I, I kind of did. I no, know. Gary, that, that doesn't surprise me. I can understand I, I why you like that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you have a Zenith 750. I mean, come on. You like ugly planes. And, and ugly friends, apparently. <laughs> yeah, but at least if you know what's what it's like going into it, you can make a decision on how you want it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm giving you guys the purpose knows it's crap, but come on. Okay, well, John, you talked about, you know, on the B model, that that's not an issue. On the A model, um, like like I mentioned, you can raise that windscreen bow up by about an inch or so with, with no problems at all. And what becomes the limiting factor is how big is the piece of Lexan that they ship you? Now, the one that they ship you is slightly oversized. The idea is it's, it's more or less the right size, but you're going to have to trim a little bit off each side to get it to sit flat on the forward the upper firewall at the front of the airplane and then sitting on the, the windscreen bow at the, at the rear part of the air, the windscreen. So you have a little bit of excess material that you can trim off. Well, rather than just taking a one inch strip off of, you know, the sides and having it sit down, you can take kind of a pie shaped strip where it, you raise the back end up and take a little bit more off the front and a little bit less off the back and you cut those sides down and that allows you to kind of reform that to a little bit higher profile. Yeah, in the B model, <clears throat> you do no trimming of the windscreen. It is perfectly cut to to the CNC frame that you're putting it to, or the the that uh, aluminum frame. Uh, I guess I don't really call it a frame, but it's a uh, an aluminum uh, the the metal trim skirt that goes around the trim skirt. Yeah. And it's perfectly fitted to that, and you don't trim it. It's this is what you're working with, and that's what you fit. Okay, kind of nice. Okay, well, um, let's yeah, let's talk about cutting Lexan. So, some some of the tools that you're going to use on both the Lexan and the Plexi, they're they're going to be similar. But um, the the first thing is the the Lexan is is far easier to work. You can use a reciprocating saw, you can use one of those micro-oscillating saws, you can run it through your bandsaw, uh, you could probably even get away with using a jigsaw on it, um, or use something like a Dremel with a cutoff disc. Now, we'll talk about the Plexi here in a minute, that's that's not necessarily the case, but the point is, cutting Lexan is super easy. You can even use um, aggressive shears on it. The big thing is, after you're done cutting it, you're going to want to go back and smooth those edges out. So use a block sand with 80 or 100 grit sandpaper 
Um, you can use something like a small palm sander or a belt sander. Or one of my favorite tools is uh, you can get them from Harbor Freight, those, those powered belt files. I call them a little finger sander because they use a little one-inch wide sanding belts. And they can get in there and smooth those edges and, and hit the corners and all that. But the bottom line is cutting the Lexan is no problem. Use whatever tool you're comfortable with. Just make sure that you knock all the rough edges off. And then make sure that the there's no notches in the edges that are going to cause stress risers that are going to promote those cracks. Now I'm kind of with you, Jeff, too. I, I like that pneumatic one-inch belt sander that you get from Harbor Freight. Um, depending on the grid that you put on there, it can go through a lot of material pretty quickly. And it makes it really easy to uh, do some major contouring and shaping with some of these pieces. Right. And, um, you know, you can use a sanding block. And there's a lot of places where you're going to use a sanding block. But when you have to take off a 64 to get the fit just perfect, you're going to be sanding all day with a block. That yeah. little finger sander will just knock it down and you get excellent control. And it kind of has a little bit of a, a heat sealing tendency as the, the heat of the sanding belt sort of softens and, and seals the pores on the edge of the material. And that even further works in your favor. Yeah. yeah. Now, Jeff, open kimono. I remember you had spilled some fuel on your windscreen. Um, yes. And you had a crack in the Lexan. Do you think that was caused because of improper uh, prepping that edge, or is it just it happened? No, that's one of those differences. The The Lexan has a different type of chemical resistance than the Plexi does. Lexan does not handle certain types of solvents well. And car gas is really, really bla- bad on, on Lexan. Avgas is not quite as bad, but that time that I got the fuel on there, I had just filled up for Mogas from the airport. And um, it, some of it sloshed out, and it crazed the top. Had nothing to do with the edge treatment. It just um, it chemically attacked the Lexan. Yeah. Okay. I just people need to know because with the new B model, we're pouring right through the windscreen. So yes, and that's every every Sonics person, whether it's an A or a B, um, you need to take as much care as you can to keep all fuel and any kind of solvent off of that Lexan on the front. Now, the Plexi is far more chemical resistant. You could probably, um, you know, dump gas directly on the, the plexiglass itself, and you're not going to have a whole lot of problem. But the Lexan, it will craze on you if you get it on there. So use uh, a wax polish on it to help give you just that extra little bit, and uh, don't be stupid and spill gas all over the windscreen. All right, um... John, uh, tools-wise, what did you like to use for cutting Lexan? The same stuff we're talking about, or was there something else? You know, I didn't – well, in my B model, I didn't cut the Lexan because it's trimmed to the uh, the manufacturer's state. In my A model, I used the same tools I used for the plexiglass, which is a reciprocating um, trim tool I got from Harbor Freight. It's one of those that has the blade that goes back and forth and uh, basically just kind of melts through the plastic. That's a micro-oscillating cutter. You're talking about that, right? Uh, yeah, an oscillating micro-tool, yeah. 25 it bucks. Like it casts all. It makes a lot of noise and doesn't do a lot of damage. Absolutely, yeah. It's really easy to control, and it's really easy to uh, to just kind of push into it and you see the, the, the plastic melting and you just kind of back off when you need to. 
Yeah, and again, the the key here is if you're kind of melting the plastic, you're heat sealing those edges and you're avoiding the stress risers. If you use a really sharp um, like jigsaw blade, you're going to be having all kinds of little chips and nicks and every one of those is a potential uh, stress riser. I, I think a jigsaw is way too aggressive and you're, you're, you're doing a lot more uh, stress kind of damage to the material, ripping that material out than you are with a little oscillating. Um, the other thing that you can use is a spinning, uh, you know, a Dremel. It's going to take a yeah. lot longer and you're going to go through a lot more of uh, the discs, yeah. but it's going to basically be melting the material. Yeah. And that's my preferred way. I have a, um, about an inch and a quarter permagrit disc that I use in my Dremel. Permagrit, I've had it for years and years. It's done all my canopies and it, um, it's kind of like a diamond coating on there. And other than like a fiberglass disc that gets smaller as it wears away as you're making your cut, you use the permagrit in your fiberglass and your Lexan and Plexi and all that. And um, it never gets any smaller. It never seems to wear out. Yeah, and it does the same thing. Right. It melts its like way. permanent disc as well, much much more so than the fragile uh, carbon, uh, carbonite type discs. Right, right. Okay, and then just uh, you know, just a general reminder: whether you're dealing with Lexan or Plexi, you know, best practices when you're done cutting it, run the sander over it, whether that's your block or whether that's one of these um, other sanding tools that you use. But, but don't make a cut and then start manhandling it and taking it over and trying to fit it up. Spend just a couple of minutes, run your sander over the edges, knock off anything that's hanging on, round the edges just slightly, and kind of polish that stuff out. And you really don't want to have a crack that's going to have to make you start all over again. So just take the extra couple of minutes every time you put the cutter on it to smooth those edges before you start moving it. Yeah, this is a yeah, and I've, I've used a... I've used an oscillating, uh, you know, just a woodworking type oscillating sander, palm sander, to uh, take out all of that extra slag that comes off from the melted stuff and then just kind of dress the edge. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, let's talk about drilling um, on Lexan. So Lexan is super easy to drill. You can use pretty much any sort of drill that you want. But the best way is... You want to use either a special plexiglass style bit or a <laughs> unibit, or you want to use just a dull twist drill that sort of like melts its way through. But it's kind of counterintuitive. A regular sharp, just regular kind of a number 30, you know, jobber drill bit that you use for every other hole in your Sonics is really not what you want to use here. You want to have something that's going to again, melt its way through, or a specially raked tip that's going to cut a nice clean hole like a unibit or a plexi bit. Yeah, you know, John Monet told me that the best thing to do is to take one of your old uh, drill bits and drive it into concrete, and that'll dull it enough to where it just melts through the plastic instead of cuts through it. Now, this can be a little bit of a, a pain because... There are places where you have to drill through the, the Lexan or the Plexi first, and then you're going to continue to drill into the aluminum bow behind it. So sometimes you have to have, you know, one of each setup. You have your special Plexi bit in one drill, and you have your regular sharp drill bit in the other. You'll have to work all that out. But in general, when you have the opportunity to use a dulled drill bit or a specialty bit, you're going to want to do that. And that's what I've done. I, I, I basically, you know, I cited... Um, the hole, 
drilled through with the dull bit to melt through the plastic and then switched out to a sharp drill to go through the bow. Yeah. And then uh, once you get your holes located, you know, you're going to do other things. So some cases you're going to drill all the way through the bow and put a, a screw in a nut to hold something in. Other cases you're going to drill and tap into the bow. Um, but in any case, the screw that's going to go through the, the Lexan or the, the Plexi, it's going to have a countersunk washer and it's going to be countersunk. And so there's absolutely no problem when we're dealing with Lexan or Plexiglass. You can use your regular old countersink cutter that you use on everything else. You can use it with a counter, uh, micro stop or you can just use it a piloted countersink just, you know, without a cage. But it, it's no problem to use a countersink on it. And you're going to want to go through and um, and just do a good job countersinking those washers to make sure that, you know, you, your screws sit flush and you don't want to have any sort of um, binding between the shank of the screw and the hole in the material. Did you guys tend to oversize your holes as I did on mine? Yes, definitely. Yes. You, you have to have them larger. You do not want to have your your plexiglass warming up on a, on a hot summer day and then putting pressure on the threads of that screw. That's going to cause those little stress risers and you're going to get some cracks at your hole locations. So you got to go at least one drill size over. Now, is that a 64th or is that a 32nd? I don't know. You figure it out. But you want to oversize those holes. I can tell you that if if you have a countersunk washer and a, and a counter and a flush screw and, a, and that countersunk washer, that entire washer is is clamping the material to the bow. And so it can be actually quite oversized. And it's not like that whole washer is going to shift position or, or pull through the material. We're not talking about like a regular, you know, flush fitting screw in, in aluminum or something like that. That's going to spread the load out. So don't worry about making them, you know, oversized, even if you go up to, um, you know, maybe an, an, uh, you know, one or two sizes larger on your drill. Jeff, I went to three sixteenths on all my holes after I, you know, I initially piloted them tight and then I up drilled the, uh, the plexiglass to three sixteenths. So I had plenty of movement and I think that's going to keep it from cracking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're clamping the canopy in place underneath the the bottom side of those countersunk washers. You don't need a real tight fit in the hole itself. Right. My first canopy I I put in in my A model, um, I kept it pretty tight. I tightened them up and I had cracks. And so that's why I'm I'm number three canopy because my second canopy I I fixed I fixed that on the A model and then the B model I've I've learned from my A model. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And then I guess the last thing, since we're talking about holes, you got to be real careful about using any sort of thread locking compound in close proximity to your Lexan and your plexiglass. So different materials, again, have different chemical resistance properties. But in general, Loctite does not do well against Lexan or plexiglass. So you don't want to put a, bit, a little bit of Loctite down in the hole thinking that you don't want those screws to back out on you. You need to use a different type of thread locker. And what I like to do is just use a little bit of cheap five-minute epoxy. You can get it from Home Depot or even the cheap stuff from Harbor Freight. It doesn't really matter what you use. You just mix up a tiny little dollop of five-minute epoxy, apply it to the threads with a toothpick, and then run them down in and tighten them. And uh, 
You know, they're never going to back out with just that little bit of epoxy until you need to take them out. Then it's going to break cleanly and it's going to be, you know, it's going to fall out of the way. Well, plus it's those those screws are not under a lot of vibration and things. So if if you lost one, it's not going to be a big deal. Right, right. And we're not talking about gooping this thing up like, you know, like pasting it like it's never going to come out. We're talking about literally like a pinhead size dollop on the threads and that's it. So, Jeff, I did do that with my B model based on your recommendation and, uh, you know, no problem. I didn't have a crack, but right. I don't know if it and helps. what I found the, the best way of doing that is install the canopy exactly the way you want, get it tightened down to the right tension. And then when it's completely good, then you just take screws out one or two at a time, put a little epoxy on, put the screw back in. And you can do, you know, after it's all fit up perfectly, you can just run right down the line and, and put the thread locker on them. Okay, uh, Gary, do we miss anything on uh, on fasteners and holes in the Lexan? Uh, probably not so much in the Lexan, but what about the, the canopy again? You know, in the A models, uh, we had to put some rivets in on the sidebar where it attaches to the frame. Um, are you using the same kind of process in the B model, John? Well, they do... Um, they do prescribe the same model where you, uh, you drill through the canopy and the frame and you rivet through it. Um, my keep a caveat on this. I did not use the standard swing over canopy, uh, of the B model plans. Um, I went back to my swing back canopy and with the swing back, I'm uh, not tied to putting a lot of stress on that, that hinge point. So I didn't put anything on the bottom uh, capture of the canopy to the frame. Um, I have a YouTube out there on how that works, how I did it. And that's how I did it on my A model. And I never had a problem with... Uh, with cracks coming up from that that point. And I think that's one of the problems with the Sonics plans is it puts a lot of stress at that hinge point where the um, the canopy is captured at the hinge. So great. I'm not a good indicator of how to follow it by the plans. And I don't want to push people my way. Um, you've got to do it you, the way you want to do it. But well, let's talk about um, the way about. I did it is – go ahead. Um, let's say you still wanted to go ahead and use the, the rivet style, just like in the A model, uh, to that square channel on the side where it pivots over. You know, I, I think we were still using the standard steel rivets that came in our kit. Uh, I'm kind of an advocate of not necessarily using those solid stainless steel rivets in, in plexiglass or fiberglass or things along those lines. It, it's a tremendous amount of uh, attention that's generated by those things. And I don't know that we need that kind of security. I know on my latest build, on all my plastic stuff, where I needed to use something, whether it was windows or, or wingtips or, you know, uh, other types of fasteners like that, I, I got some very, very soft, uh, all aluminum rivets uh, that don't generate the same kind of clamping force. But again, you've got so many of them. And what it's doing and its purpose, I think it would still accomplish the same thing without generating a lot of stress onto the plastic material trying to cinch those things down. 
Absolutely, Gary. I understand that. And I think it, it's the pinching of that, uh, the stainless steel rivets um, is going to be so much more um, powerful. It does. It takes guys a lot are getting, to, to, to pop one of those. Yeah, and you're gonna you're putting a lot of force on that plastic, and yeah. that may be where a lot of guys are getting some cracks. So I would, yeah, definitely, if you're going to go the standard route, go uh, go aluminum rivets instead of stainless steel. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, just kind of in general, as you're fitting the sides down, you got the the sides of the plexi bubble have to have to mate with the the lower canopy frame, and then you're going to drill a line of holes and put rivets in on the bottom there. But when you're when you're initially fitting that, you got to be careful that you don't put like just all the all the force of trying to force that plexi bubble onto the frame on just like one or two clecos. If you put all that pressure on just one or two spot, especially if the rest of the, the bubble is kind of flopping around, you're likely to get a little bit of cracking while you're fitting things up. Conversely, after it's all done, you know, you're going to be flying it. It's going to be vibrating in flight, all that. You still want to oversize those holes slightly. You, you can't oversize them like you can underneath a flush fitting washer, but you need to oversize them slightly. And then you don't want to clamp the snot out of them and promote, you know, again, failures underneath each of those rivets. So either take steps with your stainless rivets to, to minimize the clamping force or just use aluminum rivets and they're not going to have the same clamping force, period. Yeah, I mean, considering the number of rivets along that that uh, edge, um, <laughs> that's plenty of uh, strength to hold that canopy down in flight. Yeah, my plane, you know, it's been flying now for five years. All of my fiberglass parts um, and my Lexan, anything that's in something soft, it has aluminum rivets, and there hasn't been any problem. They're not loosening up they're not showing any sort of wear they're doing just fine and yours will too and they're much easier to get out if you do need to take a piece off absolutely yeah much easier. yeah I, I i fall to a aluminum rivet whenever i can um i'm putting anything together if, if it's not structural right now there's one other thing the sides of the plexiglass you know, especially if you're going to do rivets along holding it into the side of the canopy frame, you got to really watch the edge distance because you have to center the rivet into the square tube of the frame. So you can only go up and down by just a small margin. It kind of has to go in the middle of that square tube. But if your canopy has been trimmed a little bit high, a little, a little short on edge material, Suddenly now the edge distance between the, the hole that you drilled in and the edge of that plexi bubble is going to start to get too small. So you really got to watch that and, uh, and sneak up on the final trimming for the sides of the bubble so that you don't have too little material that's going to crack out on those rivets. So, John, this is another good case where, you know, you did it a way to to avoid putting rivets to hold that plexi to the frame. And people have done other ways, you know, similar, you know, Z strips, um, like a joggle that clamps the thing in place. Several people have glued their bubbles to the frame using Cicaflets, which is um, kind of a rubbery adhesive. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about trying to avoid having to drill holes to hold the bubble to the frame. And we can't really go through all those things here, except there, um, 
there are some some real benefits to not having to drill all those holes because a hole that you don't have to drill is not likely to crack at that hole location. And, you know, so anyway, so if you're interested in that, you may just need to reach out on the Sonics Builders Forum, try to look at how other people have solved that problem, maybe check out some builder websites, and then come up with a good kind of plan of attack on how you're going to modify the canopy frame such that, you know, you, you capture that plexi bubble without those rivets. If you decide to follow the plans, which all of mine have been like that, I haven't had any problems with cracking along the side, you just got to look, do all these things we're talking about. Watch your edge distance. Make sure when you're fitting it, you don't have any any really high pressure points for just one or two Clicos while you're fitting it. And uh, make sure your holes are nicely nicely drilled and slightly oversized to prevent that. And if you do that, you're very likely going to get a good crack fee installation as well. Yeah, I'll just say... I have done a different modification to the bottom edge than um, than others, and primarily that's because of I've done the swing back canopy, and I was able to do a capture of that bottom edge with an angled piece of aluminum um, that doesn't penetrate the plexiglass, but it captures it and pulls it in tight. Um, if you're doing a swing over canopy, which is more stock, I would not recommend doing that because you're going to need all that strength um, to to hold that the the left or the right edge of the canopy as it swings over. Um, it you know this is this is a decision point that you got to make is if you're going to do it this way, go that way. If you do it my way, well, I've done it and it worked well, and I'm not recommending this is the new standard sonics way but it does work well and i did it with my b model okay well let's uh let's maybe just back up one step you know we talked about attaching the bubble to the frame but you have to construct the frame itself before you can actually fit that bubble and um there may be a few things that can make that go just a little bit easier the first thing you notice, and again, I'm talking about the A model. The, the B model is a little bit different, a little more refined canopy frame. But in the A model, the first thing you notice is that the frame is, is fairly simplistic and it's pretty flexible. So you got to be really careful about the frame itself bending and kind of torquing and twisting out of, out of true. Even after the bubble is fit down the road after you're flying, you got to be careful that a wind gust doesn't deform your canopy frame. So when you're building it, you got to take steps to make sure that, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't continually move and kind of shift around on you. One of the things that may be of benefit is to add some additional bracing on that canopy frame. So there are gussets on the rear portion uh, where the, the crossbar, you know, about about at the, your shoulder level on the canopy frame. There's a crossbar that stiffens up that rear bow. And there's a couple of little gussets that do that. Those gussets are fine. Some people have put larger gussets on, or they've even put additional braces that go from that crossbar back down to the bow. But take a look at it and, and think of it in the terms of where might you be able to add a little bit of additional reinforcement to keep that frame from torquing kind of one way versus the other, or just racking left or right and, uh, and, and bending out of shape. Gary, John, did you guys add any additional reinforcements on the frame itself, or would you recommend that? 
Um, I, I didn't, but I can see, certainly see where you're going from. Um, I did put a, basically a, a stand open bar so that once I swung my canopy open, I was able to kind of latch in place uh, to protect it a little bit from the wind. Not something that I'd want to leave open by itself in, in gusty winds by any stretch of the imagination, but just enough so that you can get in and out of the in and out of the aircraft, try to grab some of your material or luggage out of the back of that little cubby hole underneath the turtle deck without it falling on your on your face. Uh, that was an idea that I stole from Jim Hickey, by the way, and and that worked that worked fairly well. But right when that when that canopy frame, especially swung over to the side of using the stock uh, plans, it's very very flimsy. And we all know several people have actually had those things ripped right off the uh, off the off the seams um, from a gust of wind. Yeah, Robert Barber. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention him. We pick on him too much. Uh, um, it's very easy. Yeah, no, Robert had it ripped off on his way to Alaska and yeah. ended up duct taping his canopy back on to finish the trip. So yeah, if there were some additional means to cross brace those things, that might add some extra rigidity to it. In hindsight, I could certainly see that as being a plus. And that's one of my biggest problems with the swing over canopy is it is a clamshell that is itching to be caught by the wind um, versus the swing back, which kind of just kind of, you know, you can open it in any kind of wind and it's just going to rattle. It doesn't do much more. Yeah, so, um, you know, no specific recommendations here other than, you know, just take a look at that and you may find that there's some some real good benefit that can be easily added by just putting a little bit extra bracing. You obviously don't want to go overboard here, but um, a couple extra braces in the back or maybe some slightly enlarged gussets, they're going to help you out and keep that thing much more rigid. In the B model, that's not likely to ever be a problem because instead of just a tubular, a hollow tubular bow that makes the forward and rear bows, you have these machined I-beams that are super rigid, and that thing is not going to tweak and, and deform on you. Yeah, they, they've made a huge improvement in the canopy bow or the canopy frame in the B model. Um, whether you go with a swing over or a, a swing back, it is a really big improvement in the, uh, the rigidity of the canopy. Yeah. Now, talking again, still on the canopy frame, um, one of the modifications that has been popular, on the A models anyway, is to add a second notch position on the canopy hooks. So the stock canopy has a single hook that engages on the, the latch plates underneath the upper laundron. And that, you know, the, the hook is what grabs and, and holds it firm to the laundron. Well, a modification is to make that hook out of a larger piece of angle extrusion so that there's room for a second notch position. So you can raise the canopy up a couple of inches, relatch it in the bottom hook, and get a little bit of ground ventilation. That double hook configuration is now standard in the B model. But if you're thinking about doing that on your A, you got to plan ahead and you got to fabricate your own hook angle uh, that has that second second hook location. I did that on my first plane. Uh, I thought it was going to be really helpful for taxi ventilation. And what I found is that on mine, the hook only raised it up perhaps an inch. And I wasn't getting a whole lot of air flowing through that that one little one-inch gap. That's not to say that it was not better than nothing. 
But if you can raise it maybe a little bit more than that, you might get even better ventilation. Or, you know, that's, I guess, one other potential benefit of the, the tilt back canopy in that, you know, you get plenty of ventilation. So, If you don't want to do a second hook location, you can always fabricate some sort of canopy prop. And there's a couple of different variations of this. But the idea is, instead of having the canopy come all the way over and the hooks go down in the laundron and you kind of slide them forward to, to hook in the catch plates, you have like a separate little bar that you would lock into the canopy and then the bar would then attach into the, the, the strike plates. And this thing might be, you know, four inches wide to kind of prop the canopy open by four inches. And that way it's, it's still being held and retained, um, but you get plenty of open canopy ventilation. So the things you can do, you don't have to necessarily include those at the, at the beginning. You can go back and build something custom, you know, down the road. The last thing I wanted to note is the A model uses those hollow aluminum tubes for the forward and rear bow. Now these are going to come oversized. So when you get your kit, you're going to notice that there's probably anywhere from two to maybe four inches per side that is excess. And so you're going to have to cut that and, and that you really have to get the, the oversized bow in there and kind of see about how much you need to cut off. The only advice here is you're going to have to trim it a little bit at a time. So make your rough cut. It's probably going to be too high. Then you can kind of start eyeballing the, the lines that the canopy are going to make and you can kind of bring it down a little bit at a time. Um, if you, uh, if you have to do any sort of tweaking of the shape of the bow because it's not fitting real well, do that before you cut those ends off because that end will give you a little bit more leverage if you're going to have to bend that bow into a slightly different profile. So I don't know how your guys' bows were. Mine were not too bad right out of the box. Did you have to do any kind of reshaping of the bows to get them to fit the profile well? I think I did a little. Uh, I don't remember being particularly challenging, but I, I do I do recall having to, to tweak them just a little bit. I remember on my A model, I, um, I wanted to maximize the windshield bow so I didn't have that uh, porpoise nose. And it, uh, so I don't, I don't think I did much profiling. I just, I just used almost all of it instead of trimming it. Yeah. These bows, they're, they're not a real precision bend type thing. Now they are built, they're bent over some sort of jig and they, they come out being fairly close to the final shape that they need to be. But every now and then one is going to be a little bit different. And if you happen to get one that's not exact, you may have to kind of do some hand adjusting to get that profile to kind of better match the shape that you want. And in a, in a worst case scenario, you may have something that, you know, you might just be better off ordering a replacement, especially if you start bending on it. And it seems that every time you make a bend that you think is going to improve it, it actually gets worse and worse. So at some point you may have to just set the bent up one aside and say, you know what? That was a, that was a disaster. It's not going to work. I'm going to order a fresh one. And when it comes, I'll, I'll try it all over again. Well, clearly it has to be symmetrical. Because if you're messing with that, uh, the profile of the bend, and you're not doing it in a symmetrical way, 
you're really going to screw up the shape of that bow. Right. Right. So one of the techniques that, that I like to use for, if you do have to make some bends, um, you can just get a couple of large diameter sockets and just use some clamps. Like I use some big C clamps to, to the workbench and you just, you use these sockets clamped down onto the bench um, so that you have like a round mandrel that you can hook the bow on. You kind of hook it on one socket and bend it over the second. They're positioned, you know, two, three, four inches apart from each other. And that gives you a rounded surface to act as that bending mandrel. You really can't use something like a like a conduit bender because conduit benders are made to make a, a pretty tight bend in conduit. And you're not going to get a nice gradual changing of the shape um, using that. But if you kind of clamp it in, around in these little um, these sockets, you can make a very slight adjustment. And uh, you kind of use the bow itself to get enough leverage to, to rebend it. That probably uh, would, would really look a lot better with a picture or two. I'll see if I can dig one out and throw it in the show notes. But um, the, the biggest thing you just have to worry about if you're going to use the sockets is if you're going to bend against a socket, you don't want to flatten out the area where the bow is going to make contact with the surface of the socket. So you just got to do it, you know, gradually and a little bit at a time so you don't flatten it. All right. Uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on on uh, trying to do custom bows and things like that. Just um, anything else along the line of fabricating the canopy frame itself? No, I don't really remember anything extra about it. Okay. No, I think the biggest thing with the canopy is go slow. Um, you know, you, you're going to be putting a, a piece of uh, plexiglass over your the the frame of your, your aircraft, and you're going to be using uh, tape to kind of measure where you're going to be cutting, and you're going to be doing it in little pieces, and it's an iterative process. So you're going to be cutting a little bit here. You're going to be putting it back on, and it takes, you know, 20, 30 times of putting it back on the uh, aircraft to get it perfectly fit. And then at that point, you put it, and you're going to start screwing it into the the uh, frame of the, uh, the canopy. And then it's going to shift anyway. So it's kind of like that old thing, nailing jello to a tree. You know, it's just, it seems like it's next to impossible. It does. And the third, I've done three of them. And the third one is a lot easier than the first one, but it's the same process. It is very iterative. I think your frustration level has just gotten higher. You know, it has. And you, I don't get frustrated. I just say, okay, well, I, I know I have to do this three or four times. I'm like, damn, did I screw this up? No, you didn't. It just, the, it's a three-dimensional thing. And as things fit in, they're just going to get adjusted a little more. Yeah, and John, this is a good point to to just, I guess, remind everyone. These bubbles are blown at the factory. And so they have a piece of Lexan or a piece of plexiglass. It starts off as a flat sheet. They put it in some sort of bending jig, and then they, they apply air pressure underneath it, and it reforms it to that nice kind of bubble shape. This is a handmade product and one canopy is going to come out slightly different than the next canopy. And so it could be that if your canopy is not working exactly the way that that the next guys, 
There could just be some minor variations in the way that particular canopy bubble was blown. You know, I, what I was amazed with, with my B model, the canopy that they gave me, you know, it had, um, it was a very rough cut from in the box with uh, tape marking kind of the rough point where the, the canopy cuts were going to be and a, a, uh, an arrow pointing in uh, masking tape, which is forward. When I laid that on my airframe, it was so tight. It was within a quarter inch of where I needed to cut. It's like, wow, these guys are getting pretty darn close in cutting, you know, in, in rough fabricating that, that canopy that, wow, they could have gotten really close to it not being acceptable and I'd have to get a new canopy. So, yeah, what I'm saying is it's it definitely, you got to kind of fit it and you kind of roll it around and you kind of go, wow, it's not quite fitting. And then you just move it a little bit and then suddenly, oh, yeah, it can cut. I can cut it to this level. And boom, and, and it works. So, Kudos to Sonics. If you're saving money by cutting it that close, you know, God bless you. <laughs> I'm sure you're saving you know, a lot of money. You're, you're saving that, chipping. John, it's funny. Um, they just had a, a short video that they published on their website talking about the uh, the front of the plexiglass bubble versus like the sides. And, um, a lot of people have had the same reaction. You pull it out of the box, you go and try to plop it down on top of your canopy frame, <laughs> and it doesn't appear to fit because you've got it rotated 90 degrees. It kind of looks like it should be that way, but yeah. um, it's not intuitive how that bubble wraps around your frame. It doesn't just sort of sit on like a molded you know, yeah, bubble but canopy. When you it put wraps. it on there, it is not a two inches overlap. It is a quarter right. inch overlap. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they are cutting it very tight. Don't get freaked out. It's It'll work. It, it, it definitely wasn't a problem. But, boy, I was, like, scratching my head going, damn, you guys are really cutting it close. Yeah, and uh, you talked about, you know, iterative, you know, on and off multiple times. And one of the things that you're going to do a lot of is you stick the, the bubble on there and you grab your Sharpie and you start making a few marks. Like, I need to sand a 64th in just this area here. So you make some marks on the, on the, on the bubble and then you pull it off and you get your little finger mm-hmm. sander out and you shave that 64th off. And you're like, well, I really thought that was going to be perfect, but I need, you know, now I need a 64th in this other spot. And you shave that one off and you just go back and forth. And little by little, it kind of walks its way into a perfect fit. And typically what happens is as the, as the binding areas are removed, it fits lower and kind of like drops into place where it's fully sitting where it needs to. And then the fit gets tight again. You got to shave a little more off and it drops in a little lower and fits a little better. And so just don't be discouraged when you have to just pull it on and off multiple times. That's just the way it goes. Go slow and you'll get a good fit. Absolutely. The first cut is going to definitely be hopefully a little too big. And then it's going to take you an almost entire day of, trimming and buffing and sanding and going okay yeah now it finally clicks and then it, it looks perfect and you'll feel like you get a, you did a great thing 
or, or it looks acceptable. <laughs> or it looks acceptable, or you cracked it and you will order another one. So, <laughs> well, Sonics, you know, they talk about, you know, in in their defense, you know, why do they do their plexiglass bubbles like this? How come they don't have a perfectly molded, you know, 21st century bubble canopy? And those are beautiful, but when you order a Vans RV canopy or, you know, a high-performance something or other canopy, they're hundreds and hundreds of dollars, you know, pushing thousands of dollars, not the $300 that Sonic charges for their bubble. So they definitely have a good price point, and you get pretty good results out of it. But you just need to be well, willing to just put the work in. Even the RV guys have to, you know, do this micro trimming of the canopy because we are a one-off aircraft. So it's, um, I, I, I know plenty of RV guys that have cracked their canopies trying to get them fitted and end up paying thousands of dollars to get another one. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, there's one other thing that I want to just cover and that is, when you have the frame assembled and you're draping the, the plexiglass bubble and you're getting the fit all done, there may be cases where the bubble is fitting really good. It's rusting on the forward lip on the, on that uh, mating up against the forward windscreen. It's, it's fitting on the sides real well. It fits on the back of the turtle deck real nicely, but there's a gap between the bow and the bubble itself. And so rather than just take your screw and just screw that down so it's tight and you get kind of a divot or you get kind of a weird shape that as, as a result, you can create some small little standoffs that will take up that gap between the underside of the bubble and the top of the bow itself. And what I, I like to do this on all mine, um, just go get some quarter inch fuel tubing. You can use any sort of soft rubber tubing that you want, fuel injection hose or fuel line or whatever, and just cut them into just randomly sized shims. They're like little standoffs anywhere from maybe an eighth of an inch thick to maybe as much as, you know, three sixteenths of an inch. And you can just sort of grab spaces, these little spacers that you need and kind of find one that fits and perfectly takes up that gap. And that gives you a little bit of, of shock mounting so that, you know, you don't have that screw that's that's really trying to deform the plexi to try to get it in close contact with the bow. Don't be afraid to use those little standoffs wherever you need them. You're not going to see them because they're going to be totally concealed by the countersunk washer. From the outside, you can't see them. From the inside, you're not going to notice that there's a little bit of a gap, that there's a little black rubber standoff holding it away. Jeff, as an alternative, I think I remember using small rubber grommets. Yep, you can use grommets too, and um, and that's certainly an easy way to go. the The advantage of the fuel tubing is if you need random sizes that um, that don't match up to the size of your grommets, you can cut you know stock fuel tubing into a variety of sizes. So use whatever you need to to get it to work out. Well, I think all my boo boos were consistent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I will say Gary had a beautiful canopy. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, we talked about modifications. Um, I just want to make sure we kind of run through the list of common modifications that you might see or that you might consider. 
So we talked about raising up the, the windshield bow to uh, eliminating the, the break and the dolphin nose. Um, and part of that is just a result of the bubble. You know, if you get a bubble that is blown really, really tall, you're going to get more of a break as, as the windscreen is the standard height, but now you have this big bubble coming out of the top. So you may have to raise that up even higher to get a smooth transition, or you may have to just switch to a different bubble. Or accept the aesthetics of the, of the dolphin nose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just call Gary dolphin nose. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the other mods that you'll see is the, the plans have you drill and tap all of the bows for screws. Ugh. And so in the windscreen bow, the, it's a solid bow. And so there's plenty of meat in there that you can drill and tap that solid bow. But in the canopy frame, it's a hollow tube. And so you have very thin walled tube to try to drill and tap into. So it looks good when it's all done, but it's a little bit fidgety because you don't have a lot of room for error when you're actually tapping those threads in. So what is very common is people, rather than try to drill and tap, they'll just drill all the way through both sides of the tube and just run a longer screw with a nut on the inside. Yeah, I confess I ended up doing that. I, I tried doing some of those. I don't remember which side I did it in it, too. One of them I was able to pretty much uh, use a flat tap and, and, and do it. But I think there was a pretty good significant number of times it was just easier to, to, to go ahead and put a through bolt through there. Right. And cosmetically, I, I never considered it to be a problem. It was never anything that was really noticeable from the outside. On the inside, you don't notice it either. So, Yeah, it's not near your face, so it's not like you're going to have to worry about getting hit by the, the tip of a screw or a nut. It's out of your field of view. And so there's really no downside to going ahead and doing that. No. So if you think that's going to be a benefit or you're drilling and tapping and you start stripping out those those threads that you're trying to cut in – Rather than trying to upsize to the next size screw, which you don't want to do, just go ahead and drill all the way through and run a longer screw and a nut on. Keep it simple. Uh, yep, yep. We talked about using uh, Sikaflex adhesive to glue it down. So there's a lot of good build sites that that talk about that. Actually, I think in the most recent kit planes, there's an article about gluing it to the frame. Yeah, so you'll have well. to go do some research on that. Yeah, last issue I just got yesterday. One of the other things um, that I think is a good idea, if you're going to do the side opener, that hinge that holds, you know, to the passenger side, it sees a lot of stress, especially in any kind of high wind situation. The um, the sail of that big canopy that's open, it's kind of like bending and torquing on those hinge loops. If you use the regular extruded or the, the non-extruded, the, the rolled hinge, sometimes you can get a little bit of loosening over time of those actual hinge loops. So you can buy extruded aluminum hinge that has a solid extruded loop, and it's super tough. It's quite a bit more expensive, but a, a two- or three-foot segment on the side of that canopy will, will you know take care of that. So that's an area that you may uh, decide to swap that hinge out for a little bit stronger, little nicer hinge there. Yeah, it's about. Do you think it'd be wise to do another? I think it's worthwhile doing. Yes. Yeah. Do you think it'd be worthwhile just switching over to a stainless steel um, hinge? On no, that? I think the you could. Is plenty is plenty strong enough just with the extruded myself. Yeah, and a lot of times the stainless are thicker than they really need to be. The extruded ones are the same thickness, so you don't have any fit changing uh, or anything like that. Okay. And they're not that much more expensive. 
Okay, we talked about um, extra gussets and braces, talked about the Swingback Canopy mod. We're going to have to do an, a whole episode on the Swingback, but we're not going to do that now. Um, there are options for how you have different locking mechanisms on the canopy frame itself. So the standard plans method is that you have a little blocker piece that you're going to make out of some, some, uh, some pieces of aluminum plate, eighth inch plate that physically you kind of wedge in there so that the canopy slider can't come back. It, it rubs, it bumps into the, um, the blocker, which is kind of like padlocked in place. That works fine. That's what I have on mine. Um, but there's all kinds of options to get creative and have different styles of locking mechanisms. Probably the simplest is that you use like a cabinet door lock with a little tang that, that rotates 90 degrees. So when it's in the unlock position, the tang rotates down and out of the way of the hook angle. And when it's in the lock position, it rotates up and kind of bumps up against the backside of the hook angle, preventing you from sliding it backward. And then you have a nice key lock on the outside of your airplane. There are other methods you can do as well. And then uh, the last one is the standard canopy frame uses an alignment pin. And so in the bottom of the frame over on the pilot side, you have a threaded hole and a 3 16 bolt that is kind of ground down and reprofiled to an alignment pin. This alignment pin engages a hole in the upper laundron and it kind of pins the whole canopy in place so it can't shift forwards or backwards. And that works fine. Um, you can delete that whole pin. If you choose to, the canopy will kind of move around a little bit more, but that's not the problem. The problem is that the stock configuration has that being threaded into the square tube of the actual canopy frame. And it's just a thin wall, you know, not even an eighth inch thick of that square tubing. Over time, that pin can elongate those threads, become loose, and actually fall out. So if you're going to use the alignment pin, it really is in your best interest to get some sort of reinforcement down inside. Probably the best thing to do is to, is to mill up a small square block that will slide down inside that square tubing and you can kind of slide it to the appropriate spot, maybe put in a little bit of structural adhesive or epoxy to hold it in place. And then you drill through and tap into that block. And so you have, you know, a half inch of threads, not just the thickness of the wall for this alignment pin to thread into. You don't have to do that. You can kind of take your chances and just be gentle on it. But probably it's only a matter of time before those threads open up and your alignment pin uh, falls out on you. So think about how you're going to sturdy that up. I don't know if you guys did anything on that pin or you, you noticed any problems. And Gary, any any problems on uh, yours? I didn't do any of that special reinforcement. I, I don't remember having the pin itself having issues, but I do remember that pin, the way it continued to engage into the lingeron, it actually started to elongate the hole in the lingeron itself, uh, which got to be somewhat wow. of an issue. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and um, I suppose you could have some sort of sleeve that would press down in there to kind of restore the fit, or you could do a strike plate underneath it. There's a whole bunch of things you could do if you were getting some elongation of the lingeron. Yeah, maybe one of the um, bronze bushings or something, yeah. Something like that, yeah. But that's just an area that you probably ought to just give a second look and just kind of think about how you want that to, to work over the long term. Okay, and then uh, lastly, um, 
ventilation. So we talked about the second hook for taxi ventilation. Obviously, that doesn't help you in flight. But one of the easy options if you need more cockpit ventilation is just to use those snap vents. And if you're going to put the snap vent in, make sure you put it in the forward windscreen, in the Lexan portion. Uh, don't try to put it in the plexiglass. For one, it's too close to you. It's, it's too far back. And second, the, the Lexan is going to be a whole lot easier and more forgiving when you have to drill that big two-inch diameter hole to get those snap vents in place. I, ha- I don't have snap vents in my airplane. I have used them in other types of airplanes, and they seem to work pretty well. Um, I don't know, John. Did you put any of those in? Yeah, I put uh, I put two in my B model, and I put them into the Lexan. Um, it, it is a bit uh, dis- discerning drill that two inch hole through your bent Lexan, but it does take it okay. And you used to use a right. standard uh, hole saw for it too. I mean, it, it looks really, really crude, but it does work. Just make sure it does work. Yeah, yeah, Gary, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it, I it's crude and it's raw and it's, it's just scary. It, it's, yeah. yeah, it's scary. It's, uh, it, it, it's medieval, but we do it and we, and we got bent. Yeah, and smooth those edges, and that takes care of it. Yeah, no, I, they're in, and there's no cracks, so. I'm good. All right. Did we miss any other modifications? Anything come to mind or, or something that people might want to consider? Well, I, I'll talk about one more thing that I had fail on me, and I know other people did too, is the uh, the retaining cable that once you once you pivot the canopy over to the side oh, of the yeah. A model, uh, they had those swedged cables. I, I don't know if they're still doing that in the B model if you use a swingover canopy or not. Uh, but mine would get frayed and start to break and, and snap, and eventually, it was just easier for me to fabricate another retraining or retaining strap by using some uh, nylon webbing, like from a climbing supply store. That's, that's pretty tight. Fold the edges over, have them you know sewn down, and uh, put a grommet in there if you need to, and then bolt them onto the things, and, and that worked out pretty easy too. Yeah, and that gives you a little bit of shock um, absorption as well. Mm-hmm. The Yeah, the cables, um, you really just got to keep an eye on those because, again, we all live in mortal fear of the wind snatching a side opener and getting away from us. And so you just you don't want the wind to do that, period. And you certainly don't want to have it open, have a small wind gust, then give it that last little bit that causes the swedged end to fail and the, and the cable to pull out. So keep an eye on those. Yeah, and by all means, never leave your plane unattended with the swing over open. You know, if you have, even if you have block opens like I did, it wasn't something that I would leave and walk away from. It was just temporary for me to get in and out of the plane and try to unload or or, uh, reload the aircraft. But anytime you're going to walk away with those swing overs, make sure you put them down in the locked position. Yep. All right, I got three more tips. The first is when you put your your forward windscreen on. Make sure that you don't get in such a hurry that you forget about how you're going to dress up and finish that area. So if you're going to have upholstery and you need to maybe create a pattern or you need to spray some um, some spray adhesive in there to put your upholstery pad down, make sure you do all that before you button everything up for good. It's really a pain to have to take it all off. And it's even more of a pain to try to spray it 
um, and protect the inside of your canopy while you're trying to do something. So plan ahead for your, your how you're going to trim things out. And along that line, don't forget about those little crescent-shaped pieces of upper firewall on the very forward. Those things are highly reflective, and if you don't paint them, you're going to have these two silvery reflections when you look out on either side of your, your windscreen. So you got to do something to kind of deaden the reflection off of those. And then, um, you know, consider taking all your canopy parts. You can use your cross ties and your instrument panel and whatever other parts inside the cockpit, but your canopy is a great one for this. Take it into a, your local powder coater and have them powder coat those parts. Powder coating is extremely durable. It, it looks really good. It has a nice professional look and it's relatively inexpensive. Take all your parts in the cockpit that you're going to need to be finished. Take them into the powder coater, have them powder coat them gray or black or whatever, whatever you want. And it's going to cost you about 150 bucks and you're going to have parts that are going to look great forever. And then the last thing is, uh, go get a Coger sunshade. Those things are awesome. So. <laughs> Yeah, a little pricey, but they sure are pretty effective. I, I put one in both of my planes. All right. What other tips or modifications? Um, what are we missing, guys? Well, the, the one thing we did miss was when you're installing the canopy to the frame, um, make sure that anything you're attaching with the, uh, the bolts, either if you're using a through-drilled, or you're just you're doing a tapped. It's got to be loose. Do not tighten it to the point where you're getting into resistance. It has to float on that frame. And if you tighten it down, you're going to get a crack. Yeah, the same principle for using aluminum rivets is try to keep having not having excess clamping force. Yes, absolutely. And that in my first canopy, I I. Did a little too tight. I didn't think I did it too tight, but I did, and it cracked. So, uh, second one, I drilled through. I made sure that I could turn the the screw with the nut on the end with my finger, and no cracks. Yeah, and it's not like the canopy is going to rip itself free while you're in flight. We know that's not going to happen, so you don't have to just torque these suckers down to keep it in place. It's going to be fine. You have enough fasteners to kind of spread the load out. You don't have to make them super tight. Yeah. All right. Well, unless uh, you guys have anything, any last minute tips, I think that pretty well wraps up uh, fitting the canopy. I think I'm good. Good. All right. Well, um, I guess uh, probably our next episode you know, kind of looking at the list of construction-related topics that we've been meaning to do forever that we've been putting off. The next one is probably going to be cowling and fiberglass. So I think that coming up quick, uh, it'll be time for us to really tackle that cowling. I know I get a lot of requests from time. Well, we've been getting them basically since the beginning about how to do your your fiberglass trimming and, and custom fairings and fitting the cowling. So... Prepare yourself, guys, because we got to make a, a really good effort here on how to how to fit your cowling. That's the worst topic ever. I know, I know. Just like uh, you know, as a builder, you kind of want to put that off forever. Well, as a podcast, we've been putting it off forever, but I it's just time to tackle went through it. So it we'll and get I don't want to go back through it. So, <laughs> well, see, it's perfect. It's fresh on your mind. Uh, yeah. 
All right. Well, that's something to look forward to. We'll uh, we'll get that here uh, coming up shortly. Lovely. I suppose we probably should make one little announcement, not for people not to forget the the next big fly-in coming up that uh, we like to go to here towards the end of October in Texas. Oh, that's right. Reclaw. Yep. Reclaw. It is coming. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. The fourth weekend of October in Reclaw, Texas, in the middle of nowhere, uh, about 100 miles or so southeast of Dallas. This will be the 34th consecutive uh, fly-in this year. Uh, hopefully the weather will be good for us, and we'll get three or 400 planes down there and have a hooting good time. It is a wonderful trip. I'm not going to be able to make it because it's my wife's birthday. And uh, I've been offered to ride down the Nanchang, but I'm not going to do it. Hmm. Put your wife in the Nanchang for her birthday. Oh, she would not like that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> but I, I will give you a. Uh, a 100% uh, it is a worthwhile trip to do Reclaw. And Jeff, you're going? I'm planning on it. Yeah, yep. Me too. Unless yep. the weather gets really, really nasty. Yep. You know, it's always um, it's always a little bit spotty that time of year, so we just got to wait and see what it's going to yeah, do. Yeah, it's the last good fly-in for the season pretty much, so it's, it's questionable. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess um, the other thing that's kind of on my mind um, – it may be time to do another firewall forward seminar. So if anybody out there is, is thinking that they'd like to attend that, um, send me an email, send it to the feedback at Sonic's flight email link and let me know uh, that you are interested and whether late fall or, or after Christmas would work better. So like we're talking like November timeframe or February timeframe. So, as I just kind of start carving out some time to do this, um, let me know that you're what you're interested in, and we'll get it on the calendar. All right, guys. Well, um, I appreciate you running through all those tips, and uh, always good to try to capture this stuff, especially when it's fresh on your mind. You know, John, it's your your canopy is fresh on your mind, and and actually working on Isaac's project. We finished that up last month, so. It's relatively fresh on mine. I'm glad we were able to get it done. We can cross that off the to-do list, and hopefully this is going to help some people out. Yeah, it's definitely not a uh, – it's not something to really be fearful of, but um, if you're first time at it, it's a little bit intimidating, but, you know, it, it works. It's It's doable. All right. Well, with that, I will say come visit us on the web at sonicsflight.com. You can find the show notes for this episode at sonicsflight.com slash 63. Subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or all those other podcast apps that you might like to use. Or you can go directly to the webpage and listen to it right off of there. Use that feedback link. You can get that off the website or send it directly to feedback at sonicsflight.com and let us know if you have something of particular you want us to cover or do you have... Um, you know, you think we uh, we missed something on the on the canopy topic, or if you think you are a cowling fitting master and you want to volunteer to be a guest and talk about fitting the cowling, we will make time to put you at the head of the line. So send us an email. All right, guys, have a good weekend, John. Good luck on getting that plane wrapped up, and I want to see video. Luck is not a factor. <laughs> Gee, I softballed that right in, didn't I? <laughs>
<laughs> All right, guys, take it easy, and we'll talk to you soon. Adios. All right. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. <laughs>